The United Nations tells Israel to put an end to settler violence against Palestinians in the West Bank. I call on Israel to take immediate, clear and effective steps to put an end to settler violence against the Palestinian population. Maine becomes the second U.S. state to block Donald Trump from its presidential primary ballot. Politically speaking, and Trump has seen no ill effects of the decision in Colorado and Maine. <laughs> and sometimes, the streets of America are paved with gold. It's an old saying that's come true for two brothers who came to the U.S. from Syria. In the lottery thing, yes, you have to be lucky to sell or to hit it. But in general life, you know, luck doesn't come to you. You have to find your luck. Right. Today is Friday, December 29th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. U.N. Human Rights Chief Volker Turk said Thursday that Israel should take immediate, clear, and effective steps to put an end to settler violence against the Palestinian population in the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem. In the weeks following 7 October, there has also been a sharp rise in settler attacks with an average of six incidents per day, such as shootings, burning of homes and vehicles, and the uprooting of olive trees, the lifeline to Palestinian farmers. The dehumanization of Palestinians that characterizes many of the settlers' actions is very disturbing and must cease immediately. I call on Israel to take immediate, clear and effective steps to put an end to settler violence against the Palestinian population, to investigate all incidents of, of violence by settlers and Israeli security forces, to ensure effective protection of Palestinian communities against any form of forcible transfer, and to ensure the ability of herding communities that are displaced because of repeated attacks by armed settlers to return to their lands. Also on Thursday, UNICEF released a report saying 2023 was the deadliest year on record for children in the West Bank, with 83 children killed in just the past 12 weeks. In Congo, the government Thursday said any challenge of the recent election should go to the courts. Reuters correspondent David Doyle reports the opposition says the election should be annulled. Democratic Republic of Congo will not cancel the results of last week's presidential election, a government spokesperson said on Thursday, despite repeated calls from the opposition for a rerun. Those comments also coming a day after police forcibly broke up a banned protest march in Kinshasa over how the December 20th poll was conducted. Mounting tensions over the election threatened to further destabilize the world's top cobalt producer, which is already grappling with a security crisis in the country's east. The opposition says voting was marred by widespread irregularities and fraud. That's denied by the Electoral Commission, CENI. Its provisional results have so far put incumbent President Felix Tshisekedi well ahead of his opponents. The opposition and independent observers question the legitimacy of CENI's figures. They've accused the Electoral Commission of failing to follow correct procedures for the tabulation and publishing of results, in addition to election day issues. But government spokesperson Patrick Muyaya said the opposition should wait until full results are published and challenge them in the courts if necessary. Since they started the match, he said, they should wait to see the end of the match. 
The team of Moise Katumbi, one of Chisekedi's main challengers, has ruled out using the courts. Reuters correspondent David Doyle, who reports they argue that state institutions are committed to tipping the vote in the president's favor, and like other opposition parties, say the election should be annulled. The U.S. state of Maine has blocked former U.S. President Donald Trump from the state's presidential primary ballot. It's the second state to do this, joining the state of Colorado. The legal issue aside, because the courts will ultimately decide on that, what about the political side of all of this? Trump is on track to be the Republican nominee for the 2024 presidential election to face U.S. President Joe Biden in a rematch of the 2020 election, which Trump lost. Matt Klink is a political strategist in Los Angeles and has worked for political clients in more than 35 countries. Now, while you would think these court cases would hurt the Trump campaign, Klink says, well, not really. Well, pol- politically speaking, Trump has seen no ill effects of the decision in Colorado and Maine. He's, he's continuing to raise money. It reinforces his message that the Democrats can't beat him at the, at, uh, on the election. So they want to do what they want to use extraordinary means to keep him off the ballot in 2024. And you have two Democrat states who have who have now done that. I, I don't see that there is a downside, to be honest with you, um, other than the fact that it gets the Supreme Court involved. But the mere fact that you now have Michigan, who has declined uh, to move forward with this with this legal theory and Colorado and Maine that have, it ensures that the Supreme Court is going to get involved. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if it were a nine to nothing decision. Um, I mean, if, if if they don't get involved, then you're going to have states kicking other candidates off the ballots for a reason. I mean, don't forget, Trump has never been formally charged uh, nor convicted of insurrection. In fact, it's not even mentioned in the special prosecutor's case against him. So, but is it a distraction both for the campaign's money and time, or is does the benefit of him being able to use this as a campaign talking point outweigh that? <laughs> yes and yes. I'm sorry to be a little tongue-in-cheek, but every everything about Donald Trump's 2024 campaign is a distraction. I mean, he's, he's facing 91 different charges, uh, and we, which we, he has to go 91 and 0, uh, which is very, very difficult to do, especially when you're talking federal charges that are stacked against him. He's raising a ton of money, but he's spending a ton of money on things that have nothing to do with political campaigns, meaning he's funding lawyers to fight these lawsuits that, uh, you know, he, so he's out campaigning, but he's not actually engaging with voters. He's literally talking about things that are happening to him from a legal perspective. So it is a huge distraction and it's really a disservice to the other candidates that are trying to take the nomination from him because every time that they start to gain some traction, another one of these lawsuits pops up or something random happens that now Trump is dominating the news again and they get frozen out. 
So, I mean, yes, this is the proverbial 10,000-pound gorilla that has really been the hallmark of Trump since he jumped into the political scene in 2015. Hmm. The scary part is, how many times since Donald Trump has been involved in federal politics have we used the word unprecedented? And, uh, and I mean that in a good way and in a bad way. Uh, it's just he literally has a unique ability to completely dominate a news cycle and elbow everybody else out. Even when he says the most outrageous things possible, he sucks all the oxygen out of the room and gets a ton of coverage. And that's why he is loved by his supporters and hated by people who are, are just, you know, realize that he, you know, he, he, he can be a danger. And I think that that's the dilemma that Americans face right now is do they, do they, do they hate Joe Biden or are they suffering more under Joe Biden? And are they willing to put up with four more years of Donald Trump? And right now the jury is still out on that. Matt Klink, a political strategist in Los Angeles and a veteran of many political campaigns over the last 20 years. We're following these other stories from around the world. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said he has discussed Ukraine's peace formula in a call with Pope Francis. Zelensky has said that Ukraine's peace formula will be discussed in Davos, Switzerland, but he has not yet given a date. The world population grew by 75 million people over the past year, and the U.S. Census Bureau says on New Year's Day, it will stand at more than 8 billion people. France, Germany, Britain, and the United States on Thursday condemned an increase by Iran in the production rate of highly rich uranium of up to 60% purity, close to the level used for nuclear weapons fuel. The U.S. military's secretive X-37B robot space plane blasted off from Florida Thursday night on its seventh mission, two weeks after China's own robot space plane, known as Shenlong, or Divine Dragon, was launched on its third mission, adding a new twist to the growing U.S.-Sino rivalry in space. Women seeking abortions in the U.S. state of Texas face conflicting legal opinions about who qualifies for medical exceptions to abortion laws and some confusion about which clinics provide what services. After the U.S. Supreme Court's 2022 decision to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling that guaranteed abortion rights, Texas enacted a near-total abortion ban. Deanna Mitchell has our story from the Texas capital, Austin. When Texas mother Kate Cox learned her fetus had a fatal anomaly, she filed a lawsuit to get a medical exemption to the state's abortion ban. But the Texas High Court ruled that she did not qualify for that exemption, adding confusion to who does. Adam Kaiser is a spokesperson for Planned Parenthood a nonprofit provider of reproductive and sexual health care. She says Texas laws are confusing, especially for doctors who could face 99 years in prison for violations. She spoke to VOA over Zoom. And the laws in Texas right now, just that they are not 
aimed at the person who is seeking abortion services. The consequences of that are for abortion providers and people who assist people with seeking abortion. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton did not respond to requests for comment from VOA regarding Texas laws. Kaiser says many health care providers in Texas are afraid to talk about abortion. States began making their own laws after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to abortion in 2022. Cox left Texas to have an abortion in a state that still allows the procedure. Kaiser says that adding to the confusion in Texas are the nearly 200 pregnancy resource or crisis centers. The American Medical Association describes these centers as organizations that seek to intercept women with unintended pregnancies who might be considering abortion. Texas Alliance for Life Executive Director Joe Poyman says women have much to gain from these centers, like this one in the city of Pflugerville. Our goal is to make a society such that no woman would even consider having abortion because she feels there are no alternatives. We do have vast alternatives. Brittany Green directs the Pflugerville Center. We'll happily write them a statement of pregnancy test results and help them walk through the path for getting health insurance through the state. The next step that we'll provide for someone is an ultrasound just to establish that there is a baby within the uterus. After some pregnancy resource center clients use the online customer review platform Yelp to say they mistakenly thought the pregnancy resource center they visited provided abortions, Yelp added a disclaimer to pages for pregnancy resource centers, reading, crisis pregnancy centers do not offer abortions or referrals to abortion providers. That prompted Texas to sue Yelp for what Paxton, the state attorney general, says is misleading and inaccurate language. Yelp is suing Texas for infringing on what the company says are its right to free speech. And in addition to Cox, more than 20 women are part of an ongoing lawsuit challenging the state's abortion laws for complex pregnancies. Planned Parenthood's Kaiser says none of this is surprising. These lawsuits are heartbreaking and awful and tragic and the clear outcome of what happens when you stop allowing, you know, doctors to do their job. Kaiser said that with the dire state of prenatal care in Texas and the state's efforts to eliminate Planned Parenthood's funding, the truth is that pregnancy resource centers may be some women's only health care option in Texas. When you're in a situation like we are in the state of Texas right now where you have no resources in some cases. When you're out in the middle of a, you know, healthcare desert, when you're miles and miles away from a respected or trusted healthcare provider, for me or someone in my position to say, don't go there when you have no other resources, you know, that's a that, that's a hard call. Dina Mitchell, VOA News, Austin, Texas. VOA's International Edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. All this week, we've been looking at the environmental crisis along the U.S. Colorado River. There are many people using the drought-like conditions to study ways to mitigate climate change-induced water shortages. In today's final edition of his series, River at Risk, Matt Dibble shows us how Mexican environmentalists are using small amounts of Colorado River water to revive parts of a once thriving Delta ecosystem. Only about 10% of the water that flows in the Colorado River makes it to Mexico. 
and at the Morelos Dam at the border, that water is diverted for use in agriculture. The River Delta, which once extended another 160 kilometers to the Gulf of California, now ends here. And the once dynamic wetland habitat is now mostly sand, rocks, and invasive species. Miguel Vargas is Director of River Conservation with Pro Natura Noroeste, part of a coalition dedicated to restoring delta habitat piece by piece. He shows a section of dry riverbed the group is considering for its next project. This is the Colorado River in Mexico. When I see a site like this, it looks impossible. It is possible and you need not really uh, too much water. Vargas then shows a nearby restoration site where in less than 10 years, the group has grown a small forest of willow and cottonwood trees. We try to copy the river flow. The Raise the River Coalition receives river water from both the Mexican and U.S. governments with the goal of creating a series of these sites to replace some of what has been lost to the river's overuse. Native trees and bushes are grown in nurseries and planted by the coalition and community volunteers. Gabriela Coloca-Michel, a program coordinator for Pro Natura Noroeste, shows another older site. It's really amazing uh, when you create this habitat, how the response of the wildlife and birds can be. In the beginning, when we start at these uh, sites, we found five species of birds. And now we find more than a hundred species. Other creatures are moving in also. And the sites are treasured by people from surrounding communities. The nine-year agreement between Mexico and the U.S. that has enabled the restoration of over 800 hectares of riparian habitat will expire and be renegotiated in 2026. Though demand for water along the length of the Colorado is increasing as the river continues to shrink, the binational restoration experiment is highly valued on both sides of the border, says Jennifer Pitt, the National Audubon Society's Colorado River Program Director. I think there's broad acknowledgement and desire to ensure that as we adjust Colorado River management uh, to reduce water uses because we have to, not because anybody says we should, but because literally the water is not there, that we can also address these issues of equity and environment. The benefits of cooperation and of doing more with less are flourishing here as a model for the Colorado River's future. Matt Dibble, VOA News, San Luis, Rio, Colorado, Mexico. And finally, two Syrian immigrant brothers in California will be sharing $1 million. It's a bonus from the state lottery for selling the ticket that won the second biggest Powerball jackpot ever. Gina Dulo takes a look at the two very happy men 
at their small convenience store. Syrian immigrant Nidal Khalil has been selling lottery tickets at his California food and liquor shop for nearly 30 years. But he never won himself until one of his customers bought a $1.765 billion ticket. The employee called me and told me we sold the jackpot, you know what I mean? I didn't believe it in the beginning. Then uh, I looked in the Facebook and uh, everybody was talking about it. So we found out that we sold, we really sold the, the jackpot, we sold the winning ticket. The winner of October's prize has still not come forward, but Khalil and his brother will be splitting a $1 million bonus from the California lottery for owning the store that sold the winning ticket. Khalil hopes the Powerball winner is one of their regular customers in Fraser Park, a community 120 kilometers north of Los Angeles, where he and his brother have run Midway Market and Liquor since 1994. Customer Val Evans says the winner is not her. Well, I didn't stop that day and buy a ticket. We stopped for gas and I failed to get a ticket, so that was that was bad. Customer Alan Warren believes luck could strike twice at Midway Market. I'm hoping again. I hope the tickets that I just bought are winners. Khalil says he and his brother have worked many long days as small business owners. In the lottery thing, yes, you have to be lucky to sell or to hit it. But in general life, you know, luck doesn't come to you. You have to find your luck. You have to work hard. He plans to use his share of the winnings to help his sons. We got to pay the taxes. First the government take their share and then... Uh, I gotta put the money in uh, college funds for my kids, for my two kids, yep. The win at the Khalil store is the second biggest Powerball jackpot in U.S. history. The richest prize was $2 billion in 2022 on a ticket sold at an Altadena, California gas station, which was also owned by a Syrian immigrant. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of everyone at VOA, thank you so much for joining us. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. Until next time, I'm Scott Walterman. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. In early November, Libya's House of Representatives finally published a number of laws intended to govern National Assembly and presidential elections. According to the United Nations, this is the first time since elections were postponed in 2021 that Libya has put in place a constitutional and legal elections framework considered to be technically implementable. Now we need to build on this important achievement, said Abdullahi Bathili, special representative of the Secretary General for Libya and head of the United Nations support mission in Libya. Still, there are a number of unresolved issues that cannot be addressed unless the many rival political factions get together and hash out their differences, lest the country spiral into violence and further instability. It is increasingly clear achieving a credible elections roadmap and a peaceful transition requires bringing key actors face-to-face at the negotiating table, said John Kelly, political minister-counselor at the United States Mission to the United Nations. We support the special representative's invitation to a broad cross-section of Libyan political leaders to send representatives to preparatory talks 
aimed at addressing the core issues still standing in the way of elections. The United States agrees with the view of most Libyans that now is a time for political actors to break the continued impasse, said Ambassador Kelly. Active leadership and ownership of the Libyan people is clearly required to achieve an inclusive political process. Those who continue to delay the process will hold a heavy share of the blame if yet more time passes without election of a legitimate unified government. Nonetheless, and despite those who would work counter to the desire of the Libyan people to choose their own leaders, we do see progress. We commend the work of the 5 plus 5 Joint Military Commission in clearly laying out the goals to remove foreign forces, fighters, and mercenaries from Libya, and to advance efforts toward eventual disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration. We also welcome steps toward increased coordination and cooperation aimed at unification of east-west military structures to help stabilize the south, secure Libya's borders, and prevent spillover of regional turmoil. A unified international voice in support of all these efforts on the political, humanitarian, economic, and military tracks, said Ambassador Kelly, will be crucial to making concrete progress and building opportunities for the Libyan people. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 